You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, Wednesday night edition. Anthony Gazenza here, joined by my guy, John Sheeran. John, happy Wednesday. What's going on, my man? Happy Wednesday, man. Nothing to complain about. It was actually like right before we started recording, still saw the sun. I'm still getting like used to that again, which is nice. But yeah, feeling pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Warming up in my neck of the woods. So I uh, got the sun's out, guns out shirt on, and we're we're rocking things here. But uh, good to be talking Bengals once again with you. This is going to be a draft-centric episode in a number of different fronts. We're going to recap a little bit. Just some, you know, in case you missed our, our Happening Headlines show yesterday, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the interest the Bengals have shown in uh, some players. And then uh, another another neat article that we can't take credit for, but we can definitely applaud because of the content of it. We've got a draft profile of a prospect that could be intriguing for the Bengals, especially on night two. And of course, we're going to do our first mock draft. It's the first show of April. So why not do a mock draft? Get you set up after free agency. We're only going to do three rounds this time for the sake of time and just all kinds of other uh, situations, but we will be doing a mock draft at the end of the show. Looking forward to that. If you're new here, you can get the show on a variety of different platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. On the audio side of things, you got to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. And of course, if you like the video, you can go give a thumbs up and like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, wherein we stream this show. We've got our YouTube channel. There's a little icon underneath John's side of the screen there and underneath the SB Nation logo. Click that to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. So, yeah, good to good to be back talking Bengals and being uh, being here live talking to everybody about all kinds of different things, especially the NFL draft. So let's keep talking or let's start talking about the NFL draft, John and the Cincinnati Bengals have started to do their due diligence on a lot of different uh, prospects here. I ran through some of them, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, maybe kick us off on some of the latest in terms of who the Bengals are showing some interest in on the draft front. So I think it's mostly been like, it's been some safeties and some tight ends, which is kind of interesting. Like we haven't heard a lot about like defensive linemen or maybe even like offensive linemen. I know that Linderbaum, has been connected to them in various mock drafts lately. But um, like we talked last week, they worked out Trey McBride. Uh, there was the safety from Virginia. I'm not remembering his name off the top of my head, but they had him uh, in for a visit. 
Um, Jamari Saylor, the offensive lineman from Georgia. I think they're working him out pretty soon. He's a versatile guy. Uh, plays, I think, four positions for them. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cut some tight ends, some safeties. Maybe not like the top safeties in the draft, I suppose. But honestly, like I think Paul Dinger mentioned this uh, today. A lot of their top 30 visits, they're not going to be like the, the, the guys that they may draft with the 31st pick. They, t- they typically will use those visits to check out and work out and evaluate guys in the late rounds or even guys who could be undrafted free agents because that is a chance to get them into the building. And if they go undrafted and they're being courted by multiple teams to sign a undrafted free agent contract, having a connection or experience talking to them or just having met them before and establishing some type of relationship, that's a good way of bringing in some of those guys for those uh, college free agency deals. So that's going to be a lot of the names that you're seeing now that they're visiting and, and that they're hosting and that they're working out. Maybe guys that you don't, you wouldn't really know off the top of your head and guys that definitely won't be in the conversation to be drafted early. But as the draft continues and then when the draft is over and they're assigning guys, like those are the guys that you need to watch out for. That is a very good point by both you and Paul Daner Jr. Not the the last time we'll hear his name this evening based on some some articles that are out there. But yeah, I think uh, was it Grant Calcaterra was another uh, yeah. another prospect involved in. Yeah, and then there was the uh, the wide receiver out in Nebraska. But like you said, these aren't necessarily visits that are the super obvious. High end. I mean, they'll, they'll get a couple of those in there, but to your point, these are late round picks, mid round picks and or undrafted kids that haven't gotten a lot of exposure and they want to use this opportunity to get that exposure to them to see how they fit with their team. Yeah. And if, if you don't see like an Andrew Booth or an Elam or a Linderbaum visit the team, that's not in any way, shape or form a sign that they're not interested and maybe you won't even hear about that until like right up to the draft. I remember like they there wasn't like any reported interest in Frank Ragnall until I think right before the draft with the Bengals. But that was obviously the case of them always being interested in him. And I don't even like I don't even know if visits were a thing even last year. We didn't really hear anything about Chase, but I don't really think that was much of a thing. Don't be alarmed by who is and who isn't visiting the team at this point. Like they've had plenty of time to meet with them at the combine, the pro days, and they know everything about these guys at, at this point. A lot of this is just crossing T's and dotting I's. A lot of it is just noise at this point. Teams meet with practically everybody and they only draft nine or eight, eight players per year. So it, it, it's not always going to be like, oh, they met with this, 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 this guy, this guy, this guy. They're going to draft all these guys. Not really always the case. Not the case. And it is like uh, a standard interview process that a lot of us have gone through in one form or another. Uh, and that, you know, that being, you know, kind of get to know you. Are you a fit for what we're trying to do here? Um, what are your strengths, weaknesses? Kind of gauge your your aptitude on certain things. And that's what the Bengals undoubtedly are doing in in this process here. And they you know, like we just said, basically they've shown a propensity to bring these guys in uh, that they visit with in the pre-draft process. That's not that's not something that is foreign to us or to them. If you follow this team any amount of time, there are kind of the occasional surprises and whatnot. But 
other than that, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, you kind of mentioned that a little bit when we talked Trey McBride a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was James Casey conducting the drills, right? I mean, they want to get yeah. enough low. And now McBride, a guy we profiled a couple of weeks ago, McBride is a guy that they are continued to be connected with in a number of different fronts as well. So I, I'm not saying Trey McBride's going to be a Bengal automatically, but there seems to be interest there. And it wouldn't surprise me based on how they've operated in the past, using this opportunity to connect with these players on a, on a, you know, a little bit more of an intimate level to bring them in on their roster. You know, I've talked as much as I possibly could without uh, unveiling the fact that I don't really know who they visited, to be honest with you. They haven't really, like, that. there hasn't been a lot of news on that front. I don't know. No, it's just interested in or worked no, out. No, really. Or, yeah. like, it's, we're, just, we're just spitting here. Like, we don't we don't really know who the team is interested at this point. There's been a handful of visits here and there. There's just not a lot of, like, consensus right now. There's just been some tight ends. There's been some safeties. Like, that's just kind of what it is. Like, there's still three weeks left until the draft, but everything's being kept really close to the chest right now. It is. It is. And, you know, I think that's also a little bit of what makes picking later in the first round or at the end of the first round a little bit uh, intriguing. You know, usually when you're a team heavy on needs, right, this time last year was it's going to be Penesua, it's going to be Jamar Chase, one of the two, right? I mean, that that was, we kind of knew that that was going to be the deal. And here, because they've filled so many needs and they've done such great work in free agency over the past few seasons here, now it's just kind of like, well, Let's see what gets to us. Let's see what comes to us. And let's see maybe do we move back? Do we move up? Do we stay put? All that kind of stuff. All of those are maybe potential options. I don't know about moving up. This team doesn't seem to do that very often, but we'll see. No, you know what's interesting that I just thought about though? Because they're picking 31st and then 63rd and 95th and so on and so on. And like those picks are very similar to 2020 when they were picking at the top of each round in the second, third, and fourth round. Those picks and added, you know, Logan Wilson. Uh, T. Higgins, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and so on. So, yeah, they they don't get a top five pick this year, and that's you know it doesn't help. Like that's usually the headlining of the class, and you know you get a, an elite prospect there. But they have experience drafting here before, and they've been in similar positions where you know they waited the entirety of the, the 2020 first round to see if T. Higgins fell there, and if he didn't fall, maybe Logan Wilson's the pick there. And then they were waiting the entirety of the second round to see if Logan Wilson fell again. And then he did, and then they made the pick. So picking 31st is not tremendously ideal from a draft perspective because you have to wait 30 minutes up until, uh, or 30 picks, excuse me, up until you actually pick. But you only, you basically have the same set of picks, except you don't get that first one. So I feel like it, it, it's not a, really as bad as you would think because you, you're basically getting the, the top of the round, except you're picking at the end of the round in, in this case, where you're picking like two picks earlier. So I honestly don't think that picking at the end of the round is that bad compared to if you pick at the top of the one, like that's supposed to be like an advantage, right? For the, for the jets and the Jacks because they're picking at the top of each round, but you're, you're picking right in front of them at, at this like juncture anyway. So I feel like they have experience here and um, I don't feel like it's that like big of an issue to be honest with you. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a reverse situation in terms of the experience you're talking about when you re- reference 2020, but also if you go back to I believe it was 2012 when they drafted Drake Kirkpatrick and Kevin Zeitler. I mean, they waited there. Uh, they moved back uh, to get Kevin Zeitler towards the end of that round there. So, I mean, in that respect, they have been here a little bit. They routinely picked in the 20s, the low to mid-20s in the Marvin Lewis era because they kept making the playoffs in 
losing in the first round. So they were, <laughs> they were in the low to mid twenties. So they had to wait their turn in a lot of different ways there, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens again. A talented player should be in there and, and teams do unpredictable things, at least from a mock draft standpoint, pundits and fans and all of that, where we think, Oh, this guy's a first rounder. This guy's a second rounder. And all of a sudden, some of these guys sneak in here because the team really likes them more than a Mel Kuyper Jr. does or a, you know, Daniel Jeremiah does or us fans. So, um, and um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of where it's kind of where things are at this point in terms of interest for players and whatnot. And so um, at any rate, we wanted to kind of update everybody on that. Now, where I wanted to transition, John, kind of going back a little bit to the success of the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of last year and um, what, what was the, the main thing? You know, a lot of people said, yeah, they, they developed faster and got, you know, kind of matured more quickly than a lot of people figured, but there's also the free agency piece drafting well piece, but it's the health, the health of the Bengals last year was a major key. And I thought you shared this on cincyjungle.com. This is from uh, some excerpts from a, a story on the, uh, from the athletic and Paul Daner Jr. But this shows kind of the innovative approach of Zach Taylor and company and how this was not part and parcel necessarily of the previous regime and how it really helped them last year in terms of staying healthy. It's really funny because written in the article, like he was, he was answering a question. It's a question and answers article. And someone asked him like, how do they maintain their health that they had last year? And written in the article is like, oh, they looked at data from league meetings and it told them that, oh, based off this, this, and this, like players tend to get soft ligament injuries uh, during the offseason programs and training camp and whatnot. And I felt like it was almost like a weird uh, gate, gatekeeping phrase in terms of just the analytical side when it really just says, hey, players get injured. They, they pull their hamstrings in camp because they're running for the first time in weeks and teams do a not so good job of easing them into those drills and those parts of the workouts and Zach Taylor and his strength and conditioning coach, Joey uh, Bozy, believe is how you pronounce his last name said, okay, how about we ease in the deep drills, like the deep routes, the vertical routes, all basically all sprinting for some of these guys who end up, you know, pulling their hamstrings or even tearing their hamstrings during the season. We're going to ease that in as training camp goes on. And that's why you don't see a ton of that rigorous conditioning that you used to see back in the day when they had two days and whatnot. And even still, like, I just remember so vividly last year, oh, the Bengals aren't doing any deep ball drills or they're not connecting on some of these deep shots. It's because they barely did anything leading up to that point, And it took them a little bit to get acclimated. But obviously, once they got acclimated, things started to click. But what they found was that if they just don't do a ton of these sprints and a ton of these drills, they will avoid and minimize any of these types of soft ligament injuries that tend to linger as the season goes on. They first originate in the offseason programs. Again, the data tells them this. And then they persist as the season goes on, and, and then it doesn't get better, which is, I think, A.J. Green had a hamstring injury in training camp in 2020, and it took him a, a while during the season to get to get right. And some of these things, they, they just don't get right. So I think Taylor took the, took it upon himself to alter his offseason programs in that way where it limits the work in the offseason so that they're fresh as the season begins and as the season goes on. And that's why you didn't see that many injuries from your 
from their receivers or their cornerbacks. It's impossible to avoid injuries altogether. They had a ton of injuries at linebacker and, and at some other positions, offensive line as well, because it's just a violent and physical sport. But in terms of avoiding some of those injuries that originate during the offseason program, I think they did a great job of that. And it's, there's no reason to think that it's not going to change. And it's also, I said this yesterday on the Happening Headline Show, it's also kind of indicative as to why in the season you saw some surprises on injury reports in weeks and you saw some guy, oh, what, what happened there? What, you know, and then it ended up being something that uh, they would come back from. It's, it's this, this rest and the doing what we can to avoid these injuries because as we saw in the first two years of Zach Taylor's tenure with the Bengals, Injuries and major ones to incredibly important players absolutely derailed the seasons. So this with with getting Joe Burrow back and, you know, kind of feeling like you have a lot of things in place, even though you're still a young team, it is imperative that you do whatever you can to ensure that this team remains healthy. And so when I read this and I read, you know, some of the excerpts here from Paul Daner Jr. on this, I thought this was a really, really forward thinking approach by Zach Taylor, by the Bengals. And, you know, it, it really continues to show how this team has quickly evolved under Zach Taylor, under the Blackburn's watch, under Duke Tobin's watch, etc. You see here, here's the excerpt. The type of health the Bengals enjoy this past year does go back to luck. Injuries always do. However, the Bengals are ultra reliant on the technology that tells them when guys are fatigued, overextended, or just need days off at practice. Taylor focused his offseason routines, camp practices, and season schedules on keeping players fresh, for Sundays, it's tough to pull back on practice reps, but when trainer Joey Boa says his eyes and the numbers say to back off, he's done it. Continued research presented at the league meeting showed a vast majority of soft tissue injuries were occurring early in camp, to your point, John, and then had high instances of re-aggravation as the season progresses. Taking it easy in the summer tends to lead to availability in the winter. So, yes, a lot of this is still about the summer, the spring, and those injuries and how they monitor that. But it also, I think, did carry over into the regular season in terms of, you know, we're going to give veteran rest days. Maybe someone has a, a minor injury. We're going to put them in the, on the injury report and, and work with them from there. Just while it can be frustrating to see additional players on the injury report or what have you, or maybe they miss a game that you aren't expecting them to miss or that sort of thing, this is this kind of approach – allowed them to keep the vast majority of their starters and important players throughout the entire year. Yeah. And I think you touched on a good point because you had guys like Trey Hopkins, uh, DJ reader. I'm missing a couple off the top of my head, but just guys taking rest days on like Wednesdays and Thursdays and you see them on the injury report and you initially think, Oh, maybe there's something wrong with them. No, it's just, it's just maintenance. Really. It's just maintaining their, load management i guess and if you want to use the, the the nba equivalent there but just keeping them fresh so that when they play on sundays they're at full effectiveness and that they can play the entire rest of the season that was a huge thing with dj reader they made sure to manage his snaps and his reps in practice so that he could play his full 700 or 800 snap workload and be one of the best nose tackles in the nfl it's crazy like it's just the bengal's it's another thing where you don't expect them to be at the forefront of, of this front, if you will, like the Bengals historically, it's oh, their, their training staff is terrible. You know, like they they get injured yep. all the time. What's what's wrong with their training staff? Fire everyone! And now there's articles. How did they maintain so healthy? Well, they're just smart. They're just looking at the data. It's just another thing. But like, but again, 
you can't avoid every injury, right? You're just going to run into some torn ACLs here and there. Unfortunately, it's just the nature of the game. And that has led to a lot of criticism about the lack of practice times, the lack of two days that had, were a product of the, of the old or the, the previous collective bargaining agreement, as I think I wrote on the screen here. And like, that's just unavoidable, right? Like the less time that you practice, the less physicality that you experience before the season begins, the less prepared you're going to be when, you know, the pads come on for real and whatnot. So there's not a ton that they can really do about that. That's just an unavoidable reality with the sport, but for what they can control, I think they've done a a phenomenal job. And again, I think this is only going to continue to, to build off of that. We've come a long, long way from Antonio Bryant, baby. Uh, we have <laughs> we have come a long, long way, and I, I just you know seeing that, and it always seemed that the Bengals were so had a really quick trigger finger on getting guys to IR under Marvin Lewis. It just seemed like it was just it, it, things accelerated so quickly in terms of injuries, and they just were we're, we're putting them on IR, and so this is why this article and what we witnessed last year on the injury front was so refreshing. We got Zim Hude in the chat talking about my guns. Oh yeah, baby. Big Winsinati. guns. Uh, yeah, Winsinati. Yes. Uh we we're going to we're going to do a draft profile in just a second and we're going to do our mock draft and we're going to do a remember when mic drop the whole deal as we usually do. Just want to say you know I th- I think we were maybe going to save this towards the end but um in case folks caught the last orange is the new black podcast um, Zim and Ace have gone and ventured off on a great new project on their own, Cincinnati. Uh, so they have their own YouTube channel. They are doing a great, great new adventure for them. And we were able to work with them for a handful of years, I think two, two years now, uh, on, uh, on Cincy Jungle and our podcast channel. They have flown the nest, as they say, and uh, they're doing – on to bigger and better things as we know they are great guys uh great great podcasters and we can't thank them enough for what they did for our channel for cincy jungle and we we're still going to be working with them we're still going to have them on i hope we're going to be on their show i hope they're going to come back on our show etc but um just not the vox media sb nation connection at this point anymore with zim and ace but we love them we wish them all the best, and Zim, good to see you. I'm glad you're you're loving you're loving seeing my pipes today, my friend. <laughs> it's truly bittersweet because they truly made the channel better. They enhanced it with their own flair, their own style, and their own content, and it was amazing to collaborate with them. It was amazing to see their work on their own. Like they brought in so many great guests, and they're going to continue doing that on Winsonati. So definitely subscribe to Winston to Winsonati pod go to the youtube they're growing there the, we got to get them up to their to their normal uh subscriber base though so that's going to take some time but everyone from us from our channel definitely hit them up and subscribe and consume all their content because i mean it's the same great content that you expect from ace and zim it's just under under a new name so definitely check it out yep ace zim we love you guys uh we know we know good things are are coming and when you come up with the great merch that you always come up with, the, the shirts, the the hats, all that stuff. Keep us in mind. We'll 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 buy one off you for sure. But uh, thanks for everything you did for us and for our channel. And we can't wait to see what's ahead for you. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work. 
questions, including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's get to, as we've been, we got a little sappy about our boys there, but let's get to our draft profile. And John, it would not be an Anthony draft season, an Anthony draft profile entry without a USC Trojan. Should have known. He's got the Los Angeles hat on. You know? I know. Should have known. I know. <laughs> Los Angeles of Anaheim. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, whatever sure. Year. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but look, really in this draft to me, I mean, there, there are some other players in this draft on the Trojan side of things that, you know, later in, in the draft you can maybe look at. But there's two really star players in this draft for the Trojans. Really rough season the, the past couple, I guess, for USC. And hopefully they're going in a different direction here under Lincoln Riley as he shot over to L.A. from Oklahoma. Regardless, the two big players in this year's draft for the Trojans both share the same first name, Drake. There is Drake London, the wide receiver, who is essentially, uh, it's kind of Michael Pittman plus, uh, you know, a, a leaner, kind of a little bit of T. Higgins in there, a little bit of Michael Pittman in there, a little bit of A.J. Green in there. Looks like a pretty good player, maybe not as as fast as an A.J. Green and whatnot, but a guy who seems to be a pretty good player. But I'm going to focus on the Drake on the other side of the ball, and that is Drake Jackson, who is an edge defender and outside linebacker. And I'm going to put up a video here for you all to enjoy. This is a little bit on Drake Jackson here. Uh, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna sit here and say Drake London accidentally like four times, but Drake Jackson, a guy who's an edge slash outside linebacker. You see the stats here: six three, two fifty three. He is a junior. He's only twenty as we speak. Middle of this month of April, he turns twenty one right before the draft, so he is young, young, young. Thirty four inch uh, arms, uh, pretty good vertical. 30, 36, 5, broad jump, one hundred and twenty seven inches there. So a guy that has here's the thing with him, John, a guy that has a lot of, uh, a lot of speed. Now we don't have a 40 time for him yet. Um, so we don't have that to really gauge, but a guy who really shoots off on film in terms of his get off, off of the edge, there are questions, there are concerns, but there is a lot of upside here. And when you look at some of the stats and accolades 
from last year. He had five sacks, and you go, oh, that's not super lofty. Eight tackles for loss, okay. He was a second-team All-Pac-12 selection, and, both by the Associated Press and Pro Football Focus. And then, of course, he had a pretty good score o- overall from PFF, 82.2, and 87.7 pass rush grade from Pro Football Focus last year. But like I said, there are some – questions there are some concerns and there is a high ceiling for this player you look at okay is there is he going to be you know kind of a a stand-up outside linebacker that occasionally rushes is he going to be a hand in the dirt edge guy is he going to do you know what what is he going to do at the pro level here and you see here the pros i said uber athletic you see the positional flexibility maybe you, you look at the outside linebacker slash edge defender as a plus You know, you have a guy who's done a little bit about both. And like I said, young and ascending, going back to those PFF grades I mentioned earlier, the PFF grades year after year keep climbing by about, I think, 10 to 15 points per year. So that's something you like to see, especially as a younger player in this class. What what position is he, right? And what if he was to go with the Bengals, what would they do with him? You had weight fluctuation at at some points. He was in the 230s. He got up to 250. I think scouts still think that he needs to uh, he needs to potentially bulk up a bit and uh, add a little bit more weight as he enters the pros. But again, speed he's he's a guy that can come off the edge very quickly. A lot of folks have him going in the second round, John. And we're going to do our mock draft in a little bit, and we'll see exactly you know what what shakes out there. I think if you're going to draft him on night two, which is where he's slated to go, especially early night two in in the second round, you have to do so with patience because he's young, like I said, and you have to figure out how he's going to fit in immediately. And you probably got to give him a year or two. And it's one of those kind of boomer bust guys that you take a chance on in the second round. But I think if you use him correctly and you find out, what he does best for your defensive system. He's a guy that could be a pretty good pass rusher as he grows in the NFL. So a couple questions here. Um, I believe he got injured late in the season. Is that right? Yeah, I think there was two games he missed last year, I want to say. So two it wasn't like it wasn't like a huge injury work because he still tested um right. at least yeah, it wasn't like a major thing, no. No. Okay, so that's good. So he's only twenty, gonna be twenty one. I think the overall youth is a big part of his profile because he's ascending as a player. Like he um, ascended in the building at USC and then he finally like popped off as a true junior as like, I guess a a 20 year old player in the, in the PAC 12. And I think that in terms of like the NFL teams look at him, he's a guy who's like yet to play his best football. And that would warrant, I guess, a premium pick because the skill set that he currently has like that, that flexibility around the edge, that explosion, that, that that's rare, right? Like Von Miller is the golden standard, and we've seen mm-hmm. how valuable Von Miller has been for the last decade. Drake Jackson has an ability like that, like not of the level of Von Miller, but that asset in your repertoire is rare to get under tackles, punches, and to add that explosion and bend to any pass rush. And I don't even think the Bengals necessarily have that like I think with Joseph Osai like his overall flexibility in his hips I think is still something that's unknown with him he's definitely fast and explosive and that's where he got a lot of his production in his one preseason game but I think Jackson is a little bit more like Gumby you know like he's just he's just more flexible maybe and I think that's a dimension that the Bengals don't have 
My other question, though, is if he's, let's just say, substandard, subpar against the run right now because of his leaner build, one, I don't even think the teams would entertain him as like a 3-4 guy because they need those guys to set the edge in in those two-point stances, and I don't think he's quite ready for that. He might not be ready to do anything more than just like a role player at this point. But two, I don't know how early the Bengals would invest in a guy who can't stop the run at this point. I think when you look at the defensive linemen that they like to invest in, they like complete players. And I think Osai was, you know, hyper enough as a defender where he made plays against the run where they were comfortable with that, even though he was kind of raw with Jackson, if he's completely one dimensional, and I'm not saying that's bad because being able to rush the passer is completely more valuable. But the fact that he's just not at a competent level of setting the edge and defending the run and making plays against the run, I do wonder how early the Bengals would invest in a player like that. I agree with you. Here's here's the thing. And by the way, I know we get a little bit of flack on some of our comments when we do these prospect profiles, when we use potentially Twitter videos from other sources. Got to throw out a disclaimer that YouTube, where we stream and our channel and whatnot, they get real picky in terms of us putting on different videos if we don't cite them correctly, etc. So I don't really dig copyright infringements and I don't really dig getting slapped on the wrist by YouTube personally. So if it takes using a tweet video and citing that person properly. Sorry, I'm going to do that. (laughs) That being said, here's Seth Galina and a recent tweet here. And here's the bend you're talking about and the, the get around the edge. See the dip. Yeah. The dip under the tackle. That's, that's what you're talking about. Let's watch it again here. That's, that's what I saw a lot of the dip under the tackle uh, to get past. And, and, and even though that play right there did not result in a sack, that's a pressure and a, and a play that, you know, NFL people like to see. I'm going to share this tweet here. This isn't a video. This is just Adam Schefter talking here. Just to note that teams are very interested in this player. This is as of yesterday, I want to say. And you see there, defensive end outside of linebacker Drake Jackson has 13 visits over the next few weeks per source. Jackson is about to hit and stay on the road. So teams are calling right now. Again, I, I agree with you with the run stop issue, but I also think that goes into where do you play him if you're kind of wanting him to do more outside linebackers to traditional outside linebackerish things, then maybe that is a trait that you wish he had. If you are saying this is initially a niche pass rusher and will develop into a little bit more of a true edge rusher as he gets older, adds more bulk, etc., then you kind of go, eh, I mean, maybe maybe we sacrifice that a little bit for that bend, that ability to get around the edge that you saw as a pass rusher. Again, a guy, he's not a perfect prospect at this time, especially with the with the age and development that needs to take place, but there's a lot of athleticism there. There's a lot of speed there. It's a matter of getting to the right guy and having them develop this player into a, a productive NFL player because the, the, te- the traits are there. The traits are there, and just – Going back to that, like I think he has above average explosion as noted by um, his testing drills, and that only helps with that bend because, like, let's, let's go back to a guy like Osai who is incredibly fast and incredibly incredibly explosive. If Osai has like average bend, that get off of the line of scrimmage, the, the way that he's able to cover so much ground in the first two or three steps, it'll it gains him ground against the tackle where he doesn't have to bend that much to get under him and to run around the arc with with Jackson. He doesn't even need like that big of a get off. He can just 
Ben from wherever, like he can create the top of the arc wherever he is because he can get around a tackle so easily with that flexibility. And that's why it is rare. But I, I like what you said about finding the right fit, the right situation for him. I think Marion Hobby has proven his worth as a defensive mm-hmm. line coach. Um, like they have most of the same staff there to continue working with, with these guys as far as like a role will go, like obviously he wouldn't play in front of Hubbard or Hendrickson. He probably wouldn't even play ab- above Osai, but they need a guy. They need a fourth guy. They need someone to challenge Osai. They need someone new blood injected there because right now they have young guys and Cameron Sample and Clid Kareem and we can throw White Hubert in there, but none of those guys are either proven or really any good right now, honestly. Like it's a lot of unknowns and they need some form of production, some form of athleticism there. If God forbid something happens to either Hendrickson or, or Osai, because they already lost Osai for an entire year and it was basically the Trey Hendrickson show. So honestly, it, it's an interesting question. Like if they're really interested or serious about adding to this position group, because they have a ton of bodies, but it's not a lot of bodies that they can count on right now. Yeah. And I think that this is a little bit of a sneaky need. And you saw some things come up at the end of the postseason run there when the Bengals were a little depleted in terms of Larry Ogunjobi getting out of the lineup with an injury. And just they had to create blitz opportunities to potentially get sacks and pressures and whatnot. Uh, you know, you, you, you talk about Mike Hilton making a couple plays. And it was basically, like you said, Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard played his butt off, played a ton of snaps, had a couple of nice moments. But the consistent pressure or, or some semblance of consistency with pressure off the edge um, it just was was lacking a little bit as the season wore on and having that extra, whether that is Osai, whether that is Jackson, whether it's both, having that extra just rotational person you can bring in there. Uh, you know, I, I like Cam Sample. Cam Sample doesn't have the the, the juice that Drake Jackson or uh, Joseph Osai appears to have. You know, I think Sample's a nice player to have on that line. You can move him around a, a couple of different spots, but – this is a completely different guy. This is a guy that is is you know tall, lean, and uh, has got speed and and a lot of different a lot of different athletic traits. You like <laughs> real quick. There was a comment or under like the Schefter tweet from like the golfing dad, and he was chastising Schefter for uh, calling U.S. or Southern Cal Southern Cal USC because the real USC is in uh, South Carolina. Any thoughts on that? I. To each their own. That's my that's my thought on that. I guess if that's what <laughs> I, I just seems like an odd thing to get up in arms about if you're on Twitter, but uh, people do that, I guess. So uh, I I don't. I, it's it's regional, I guess. Growing up, I, USC was always Southern Cal to me. I didn't even know USC was an acronym for uh, South Carolina until I got older. So I'm yeah. I'm on your side here. Yeah, and I think also as SC has struggled the last couple of years here, maybe they they have lost their stranglehold on the. Well, I mean, what is, what is Southern California? Southern Carolina done? They're, God, I'm saying Southern Carolina now. <laughs> Southern Carolina and South California, right? <laughs> well, I I don't have too much more to add there on, on Drake Jackson, but a guy that is very intriguing, a guy I think can uh, help a team pretty immediately in terms of, um, you know, what he can provide uh, at least at a, in a limited standpoint, a limited niche package pass rush standpoint, you got to give him time to develop though, especially with the age, add a little bit of, of bulk to him because he is younger and, and see what, what develops there. You got to be patient with him. But I think if you get him in the right spot, you are patient with him and, you work with him. This is, this is a pick that would pay off in a good way down the road. For sure. It's just a matter of 
honestly, like how much are, again, are they prioritizing the position and where does Jackson fall on their board of best available players? Like it could be a situation where maybe they're not truly looking at an edge in the second or third rounder, but like in the second round, if a lot of their other targets have gone off and Jackson is still there, again, a young athletic guy, you can help him out immediately and grow into a bigger role. It would make a lot of sense. It would. It would. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, let's move on now that we've got our prospect profile done. John, what do you say we pull up the, is it the PFF mock simulator we're going to do here? We can do that. I just learned, though, that I can't share my screen until I close Google Chrome real quick and open it back up. So I can either leave now or it might have to be you. (laughs) Okay, that's fine. Let me let me pull that up. Uh, We'll 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 do this here. Just. So you want to do three rounds, right? That's what we just We can do however long we want. I'm just going to tell you, I don't, I don't know anyone beyond <laughs> like round three right now. Okay. All right. Well, let's pull this up here. We're going we're gonna to get this queued up with the Bengals and a mock draft courtesy of PFF here. Let's get this. I'll, I'll start sharing my screen here. The wonders of Google Chrome disallowing you to share your screen like that odd very weird here is the Bengals. let's do you want to do three let's do three okay we'll do three here we go okay we trading up to one you know what let me full screen this thing so folks can see it better is that probably yeah all right i'll full screen that there you go Okay, here we go. Let's start the draft, and it'll go kind of quick here. And we will. What happens? By the way, we got to throw out this as we always do when we've done the mock drafts over the past couple of um, the past couple of years. Here, this isn't necessarily exactly what John and I would do. There's some. Pre- there might be a little bit of bias in there in terms of where we go. We look at positional need or perceived positional need. What the team did in free agency. Maybe look at how the Bengals approach some of these things they like to go best player available oftentimes and of course it's uh you know there's just kind of a we would look at their past trends and what, what they look you know what they look for in terms of that so those are some of the things it's not necessarily this is this is anthony's mock draft this is john's mock draft it's kind of a, a conglomeration of a lot of different facets that we look at okay so uh where where are we Let's see who got picked first. You know, I see Zion Johnson just went to the Chiefs right above them. So we'll look. Yeah, we'll look at the 
we'll, we'll go from 20, right? There's yeah. Linderbaum going Ooh, to he's the Steelers. Steelers. Ooh. <laughs> Penning, another guy that some, some folks have talked about going to the tackle from Northern Iowa, going to the Patriots. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, an edge, uh, edge rusher from Florida State, going to Green Bay. Booth, the corner. I think that's Zim's guy, isn't it? Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, going to Arizona. Traylon Burks, the wide receiver of Arkansas, going to Dallas after they lost Amari Cooper. Devontae Wyatt, another player a lot of Bengals fans like, going to Buffalo at 25. Bernard Raymond, the Central Michigan tackle, big big guy, project. David Ojabo, the edge out of Michigan, going to Tampa Bay at 27. Kair Elam a guy that a lot of folks thought would be a good fit for the Bengals in terms of need and talent going 28 to green Bay, Kenyon green, a guy we profiled here a couple of weeks ago, going to Kansas city and Zion Johnson, as you mentioned, one pick before also to Kansas city, really bolstering that offensive line. That is where we're at. So the Bengals are up. You have Sam, this is their best available. Sam Howell, the quarterback out of North Carolina, Lewis sign, the safety out of Georgia. You have Petrie, the corner out of Baylor. Some people think he's a little bit more suited as a slot corner. Um, I don't know if you, you go that route with your first pick, but he is up there. Sky Moore, the wide receiver out of Western Michigan. Boye Mafe, the edge out of Minnesota. Leo Chenal, Leo Chenal, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. Uh, Daxton Hill, another corner out of Michigan. Nick Bonito, edge out of Oklahoma. Uh, Brian Osamoa. So, there's some there's some interesting options here on the board for the Bengals. I mean, Sam Howell BPA? <laughs> uh, no. Um, no. <laughs> I feel like when you see Booth, Elam, Green, and Johnson go right in front of you, right before your eyes, I think initially you're thinking trade back, and yeah. they have they have five trade offers, and we can potentially look at that. But at this point. If they can't get a corner that they're comfortable with, I think Kyler Gordon is available. He's just not tremendously high on PFS board. He might be like the 50s or the 60s, but that's an that's a name I think that will end up getting first round conversations. Like Kenny Pickett's available, uh, Chad Muma, Logan Wilson's boy, Drake Jackson's 47th on their board. I think Kyler Gordon, Logan Hall is 52nd on their board. He could be a name that's in this conversation. So. Like the the top tier names, though the names that I think they or Bengals fans are hoping would fall to them, they're off the board here. No. So initially, I w- I would think trade back would be a great option to get like an, an extra pick or two, and you know we have some options here. The Texans, I guess, are the team closest to the thirty first pick, looking to move up, and so we can discuss that. But also, I'm looking at Lewis Sign, who's just staring us in the face. He's been projected mm-hmm. to go in this area. At this point, if they can't get a cornerback, if they can't get a plug-and-play guard looking towards the future and picking a player who you probably have a first-round grade on to to take over one of Von Bell or Jesse Bates in just the upcoming future, I think that has to be in heavy consideration at this point. I, w- I would think so as well. You look at Bates on the franchise tag. You look at Von Bell. I believe his contract is up after this season, right? He signed a three-year deal initially with the Bengals. So you have that. You have questions um, with Brandon Wilson, I think, coming off the injury. So, uh, you know, that that could be something that's right there, whether, you know, and I know a lot of folks don't want to hear that because they want Bates to be re-signed, as we all do. But 
that just may not be a reality here, especially with the news that I talked about yesterday on Happening Headlines where Minka Fitzpatrick may be close to inking a historic deal, and that's something to monitor as well. But trade, you've got the Houston Texans. Um, so where, where do you see the other offers there? Uh, so you can click on like the Texans name and it'll, it'll scroll down. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you got Falcons, Browns, Steelers, Dolphins. And I haven't used this one for a little while. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I mean, you can, you can tweak around with things or you can go with, with the safety from Georgia. Yeah. I mean, like, so, so what, what would you do here? Like is sign like good enough to just stay put and not go after like another handful of picks? Because honestly, I, I could honestly go either way. I think you yeah. Trade I down. mean, I, I, go ahead. I think if you trade down, you, you you're entertaining Kyler Gordon, you're entertaining Travis Jones, the nose tackle from UConn. UConn, you're entertaining Logan Hall, and you can kind of pivot in that case, and maybe that's yeah. enough. But like, if I were to stay here, like sign would be good enough for me. Okay. I mean, I I would maybe slightly prefer trading down, but um, if we want to, okay. Uh, so we would what? We would offer thirty one for thirty seven, and then a like a mid-round pick um in exchange for that and, and i think the green bar tells you if uh the, the trade is likely to be accepted so we're probably not going to get the 80th overall pick that has a 32 yeah. percent chance of getting accepted but we could get the 107th pick um right. that, that they have and yeah for trading down six spots getting a high a early fourth round pick that's that's probably something the Bengals would do uh do you think that's worth it yeah well, let's do it all right, let's see what happens then. So we'll move back a little bit here. So they accepted the trade. They traded it for Pickett. That makes oh, sense. Oh, and look who went right one pick oh, before. That was close. Yeah, yeah, one pick before. All right, so you, Petrie's still there. Uh, the, if if you're listening to the audio, Lewis signed the, the safety went one pick before after the move back. So that really bit us in the butt there. Uh, but you do have, let's see. Um, oh, Desmond Ritter. Desmond He's alive. Ritter, yeah. Uh, let's see what's happening in a corner. You've got Petrie, McCreary, Kyler Gordon there. Uh, it feels like Gordon is just going to go earlier in the actual draft than like 60th, which is where he's on with the I board. Know. So I don't think he's going to make it to their second, um, to their actual second pick. But also, like at this point, this, this, the safeties are kind of dropping off a little bit. Right. So we might be putting that on the back burner. Um, let's look at defensive interior though, because I think you still have both Travis Jones and Logan Hall, who probably be in consideration here. Both, yep. Hmm. I, I think I think if it's if it's me, it's 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 either Gordon or one of Jones and Hall, and it's just a matter of I think preference. Um, again, like I, I'm not sure like where Hall is projected to go, but I think a lot of people really like Jones. I think he's been mocked in the late first and in, in recent picks. It's just a matter of like, do you want a, a nose tackle to be implemented in, into this rotation or because Logan Hall is more of either that five or three technique type of right. pass rushing role right. that they want. But again, Gordon Uber athletic was really productive at times in Washington. It was a good quarterback school anyways. And it, you, you have to figure if they want to invest in the cornerback, it's probably got to be early. So so a couple of things to consider here. Also, which one of these guys could potentially make it to 
the 63rd pick. That's something to consider. consider right. As well. Given their, their, I mean, the way they're setting this up, it would, you would think you'd have a better chance of getting Gordon with your next pick rather than Jones or Hall, um, just based on where the ranking are and, and the fact that McCreary's there and Petrie's still there. So I don't know. I don't know a lot about Petrie other than the fact that he's projected to be like a slot, and I don't think they would really consider Correct. that at this point. That's, yeah. Yeah. So, and McCreary's got like, I think, dinosaur arms or something like that. Roger McCreary, the cornerback right. out of Auburn. So, yeah, I think this is between Jones and Hall. And I mean, if it was up to me, it would probably be Hall just because yeah. of the player that he is, but I could go either way. Okay. Let's go. Let's go, Hall. And then, I mean, it might be a little bit of a reach by the. There goes Kyler Gordon. There goes Petrie. Drake Jackson. Desmond Ritter's oh. a Falcon. Nice, nice landing spot. Trey McBride went three picks ahead of us to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the 60th overall pick. Wow. We, we really, uh, yeesh. <laughs> we, we didn't do this one right, did we? Um, okay. So here's kind of the best available. Uh, best available names that I'm not acutely familiar with. <laughs> Dylan Parham was the guy that they did work out at his pro day, and I believe and he's here. Like Sawyer as well. Yeah, he's a guard center type, and Sawyer is more like a. I think he's just a guard in the NFL, mm-hmm. based off of his build. But yeah, not a ton of cornerbacks available here. Not a ton of safeties, and mm-hmm. this is part of the draft. Like it, you. You try to pivot one area, and then if something happens, like then you just got to pivot elsewhere. So you just got to take with what the board gives you. And I, I don't know if the plan for them is to invest in, in the in the interior offensive line early, but if a player or two shows up at some point in the board and they feel like they can't pass it up, like that would be the situation. It's just a matter of if they feel like Parham or Sawyer or Sailor, however you pronounce his name, are these guys at this juncture? I'd go maybe Sawyer because he has guard. T- he's played tackle and guard, um, mm-hmm. and they've shown they've shown that they have they are interested in him. Uh, or the report that we talked about earlier, I know that this same thing with Parham, but they just brought in a bunch of interior offensive linemen in free agency, right? And um, you know, I, I think they want maybe another tackle slash guard option potentially. That's yeah, just yeah. my my opinion. That makes sense. Okay, so we'll do that. I'm, I don't know if they're going to allow us to pick that uh, the one we <laughs> just, picked up. I just realized that we, we traded <laughs> yeah. for a pick that we're not even going to be able to. We're, get. We're not, <laughs> yeah, not good, not good. Uh, so safety, Nick Cross, Marcus Jones, mm-hmm. corner out of Houston. Uh, Romeo Dubes or Daubes. Um, yeah. See, yeah, Brian Cook. I know that name. Yeah, he played mm-hmm. EC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this is this is still kind of stretching it for me a little bit, though. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, sorry. So they've taken we've taken a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman. We've beefed up. Yep. I feel like. A corner is not the worst thing in the world here because they just, I mean, they need bodies there. It's not just the fact that Eli Apple is the unquestioned starter. Like, they have next to no depth at this point, which is crazy at this juncture in free agency. Like, it's just, it's Jalen Davis, 
it's not even like they, they haven't brought back Trey Flowers at this point. It, it's Jalen Davis and no one else. Like John Brandon, it's just like right. they, they need bodies. Yeah, I think these top three are probably where they would go. Is, is Kobe Bryant available? We we had we had um, why not Cha twenty six asking about that. Oh, okay, right here. Yeah, <laughs> I I I have no idea. I have zero idea where he's going in this draft. I've heard second round. I've heard fifth round. I feel like yeah, the range is, is insane. It's all and over the like, map. And when, when you have someone like that, it's like you just got to see how far they fall. You don't you don't want to be the you don't you don't want to be the team that takes them first. I feel like right. So this is who we've got at corner. Uh, what about why do I feel like Marcus Jones did a lot of like re- work as a kick returner? I feel like. I've either heard that name or I remember him from the college football season. I feel like that's that that was him. But there's also oh, there's also tight ends that we haven't considered. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Greg Greg Dolch, I think from UCLA, might be still available. Uh, Jelani Woods from Virginia Tech or Virginia, he might be still available. Grant Calcaterra, right there. Yep, who they have there's met with. Jeremy Rucker, um, apparently the next great tight end from a school that doesn't produce good tight ends, Ohio State. <laughs> uh, and there's Jelani Woods right there as well. There you yeah, go. Derek I don't Dixon. know, man. I, I feel like it's tight end or cornerback at this point. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Jones here. Uh, yeah, Will That's Smith fine. says. Jones too small to play corner, but uh great returner. A lot of people are saying, um, yeah, I, I've been, I need to get a little bit more familiar with Zion. I've, I've watched a little bit of him and read a little, a little bit about him, but I'm not overly familiar with him. A lot of people say he's tested very well athletically. So maybe, maybe that's the route. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> great name. <Yeah. laughs> there you go. And we'll, we'll eat the pick that we traded for there. Uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just assume that's a tight end right there. We'll, we'll you can put that yeah. as Woods or Calcaterra or whoever you want. There you go. Uh, <laughs> what is this going to be a C minus, C plus, yeah. B minus? C. Not, not great. Not great on the grades here for PFF. <laughs> oh boy, an overall oh, overall C. Um, Passing the B minus was the trade. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Well, first crack. We'll do more. Um, but that's what we came up with. Defensive interior Logan Hall after moving back to pick 37 with Houston. Um, then Jamari Sawyer pick 63. And then, of course, Zion McCollum, the same Houston State corner in round three at 95. Uh, not exactly how I would have drawn it up, but I think the move back really kind of what happened before 31 and the move back really, um, I don't know, really kind of took things a different route than we anticipated. But that's our first crack at it. We'll do more of these. <laughs> Keith Lakes, yikes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, tr- trading down is always enticing until you do it and all of your plans just evaporate in front of your eyes. You That's know? right. That's so, right. Uh, you live in your LA, LA Jamar Chase really liked the draft here as well. If this was the Bengals' first three rounds, I'd cry. Okay. I don't know if awesome. that's happy cry, but yeah. Joy. Tears of joy for okay. sure. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get on out of here. And before we do, John. We're going to do, I, I'm going to just give you a quick remember when, and we will bounce on out of here with our mic drops and whatnot. But the remember when for me this week was, and this may be even before your time, my friend, but 
Go back to the 1994 draft when the Cincinnati Bengals had a top pick, and what they did with it is they went with Dan Wilkinson instead of Marshall Falk. And Marshall Falk, small school guy out of San Diego State, a guy that was incredibly productive. A lot of people felt that he was going to come into the pros right away anyway and do great things. Of course, Falk went to the Colts. And there are some conflicting things with Falk in terms of not being picked by the Bengals. He seemed to be, at least prior to this year, a little bit critical of the Bengals and how they operate in the team. And they're, you know, they don't come up in the clutch. And there always seems to be this little animosity he holds that they didn't draft him. There's also some rumblings that maybe he told them not to draft him because he was worried about going to that organization and not doing well. So it kind of depends on who you ask and all that kind of stuff. But the Bengals went with Dan Wilkinson, who I I think a lot of people, I I say sort of wrongly view him as a big bust because he actually put up some numbers, had a long NFL career, just unfortunately was on bad Bengals teams and didn't live up to where he was drafted. But And then, of course, you look at what happened with Marshall Falk in his career. The other thing is the domino effect with this remember when, John, and that is the fact that the Bengals did not take a premier running back in 94. So in 95, they took Kajana Carter. And Kajana Carter, obviously, first preseason, goes out there, tears his knee up and was never the same. And so the domino effect of not selecting Marshall Falk not only is, okay, well, you get a defensive tackle that was okay in the NFL, was pretty, you know, actually was a little bit better, and I think people give him credit for but not worth that pick. And then you try and remedy the situation the following year by getting another premier running back in Kajana Carter, and that is not good. And I feel like these remember wins are not always the most positive that I've been bringing up, but it is what it is. But remember when Marshall Falk was almost a Cincinnati Bengal, yet not. I mean, these, these are great history lessons for me because I never even knew this. And I feel like if I'm Marshall Falk, I'm very grateful that I didn't go to the Bengals because then my knee would have been shredded before I took a meaningful snap. And honestly, who am I to say that that wouldn't be the case? What if the Bengals drafted Marshall Falk and his career ended exactly like a John Carter and he doesn't go on to eventually join the St. Louis Rams and then the greatest show on turf and have a Hall of Fame career. So you know what? Maybe there just was something with the 90s Bengals that just cursed everybody except for a handful of players. So good for Marshall Falk. Yep, good for Marshall Falk, good for the Colts, good for the Rams, but not good for the Bengals. What do you got for us on our way out, my friend? Uh, Just a quick shout-out to ESPN 1530's Mo Egger, who um, saw a tweet of mine earlier today. It was just a video talking about the Bengals and the draft and whatnot. And it was apparently something that he was going to talk about in one of his radio segments this afternoon. He saw my video and said, well, this is exactly what I was going to talk about. Instead of just talking about the same thing, why don't I just play this audio clip on my radio show? I'll ask John first for his permission, of which I gave him permission. But uh, yeah, my voice was on ESPN 1530 for the first time ever. Nice. That was awesome. I got to listen to it live. Um, I might go on uh, Mo's uh, radio show here pretty soon before the draft, but that was awesome uh, for Mo to uh, enjoy the content and then put the content on the show for everyone to listen. So it was always a little little personal goal to get on any type of Cincinnati radio show. I've been on the radio for a lot of other places in the country outside of my own hometown, but that was my debut. I was very happy that it was something that I was proud to make. So thank you, Mo, for putting putting my voice on the air. 
Yeah, Mo's Mo's good dude. I, you know, I was going into the Super Bowl actually, and I think I was walking pretty near him. I was trying to hustle up and say hey to him, but then he kind of darted off. I think going looked like he was maybe late for some sort of media thing or something. But uh, I was going to go say hey to him, but I didn't. So Mo, <laughs> hi, good to see you at the Super Bowl, sort of. Uh, but cool that he got you on the air. And I just want to reiterate on, on my mic drop. Just thanks again to Ace and Zim for everything they brought to Cincy Jungle and Vox Media. Um, and we we wish them nothing but the best going forward. And I know our paths will continue to cross a bunch of times, hopefully in person at games coming up here this next season. But uh, at any rate, that's that. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode, even though the mock draft was maybe a little lackluster, but we're going to, we're going to give <laughs> multiple cracks at it going forward, but get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio. subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're going to keep bringing you a bunch of different stuff on this show and the others on Cincy jungles podcast channel. Thanks everybody. We will see you next time and have a great rest of the week. Mm-hmm.